0: Well, we have our new topic for today. It's how to pray and be mindful of the Spirit as we continue our series on suggested topics. So this is now sermon number 26 in this series, and it's the 6th of 13 that I have placed under the category of Christian living. So once again, an excellent topic for us to consider Fairly closely related to what we looked at last week. So that's why I've put them together so that we can see the, can kind of build on what we've already looked at. Just mentioned that in Jude, it speaks about those who cause divisions in the church. And then in Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, uh, verse 20 and 21, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So those are things that you need to do when false teachers are about, according to Jude. Building yourself up in your holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. But one of those in particular, you notice, is to pray in the Holy Spirit. And really that's kind of what we're looking at with this, this topic. I mean, what does that mean? And how do we do it? How do we pray and be mindful of the Holy Spirit? Our New Testament scripture reading is from Romans 8. And I'm going to read verses 12 to 30. So please give attention because this is God's holy and infallible word. Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father." The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh, what a... What a verse to remember, isn't it, when we have suffering in this life. Read that again, verse eighteen for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall reveal be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? And if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Let me just pause there for a few minutes. So, It's, it's almost the opposite of what we saw this morning, isn't it? With this thing about hope. He said that with, um, with our justification, we're not hoping that someone will come and justify us. Hoping that we'll be forgiven for it. He's already done that. So that one, like... We don't hope for justification. We rest in justification. We're very thankful for it. But what do we hope for? We're groaning with the whole creation because our, Jesus Christ hasn't returned. There's not full redemption. There's not the resurrection of our bodies. We still have sickness. We still have death. And the sons of God have still not reached the place where where they're fully conformed to the Lord and, and brought to the place where, where, where they will be in their growth and, and sanctification. So in this respect then we are yearning and we are groaning, we are stretching forth for what God has for us. And we need to be groaning about that and and praying about that. Okay, And that's what we're looking at, praying in the Spirit. So look what it says in verse 26, continuing on. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit's intercession is always going to be according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Thanks be to God for his precious and infallible word. Now when we talk about being mindful of the Spirit when we pray, we need to begin by realizing that God has given us His Holy Spirit to help us in our prayers. Okay, so if we're going to think about being mindful of the Spirit, we need to know that the Spirit is given to help us. First, we, we have the prophecy. This is taught in the two passages that we read today. Okay, The first one was the prophecy that Dave read earlier from Zechariah 12, that God would pour out His Spirit in, in the New Testament, to bring forth prayer from his people. From us. If we are his people. Zechariah 12 verse 10. The Lord says. And I will pour out on the house of David. And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay that was the church. In the, in the time when Christ came. The, inhabit, the, the house of David. The inhabitants of Jerusalem. The spirit of grace. And supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem. And then it goes on talking about that. It's rather obvious that this is talking about what happened at Pentecost, isn't it? In Acts 2, we're told how God poured his spirit out Pour out my spirit, it says, on his elect people, so that they mourned for having crucified the Messiah. That's a curious thing, isn't it? Elect people who crucified the Messiah. That's striking, isn't it? But there were elect people. You see, we were elect from before the foundation of the world, chosen to salvation. And there were many that had a part in crucifying the Lord Jesus. And when God poured his spirit out, then something happened to them. It was a very rude awakening that came when Peter preached and said, you by wicked hands have crucified the Lord of glory, the one that God sent to save you and, and the nations. We're told that they were cut to the heart when they heard that because they were elect people and God poured his spirit out on them and they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? You can imagine the sinking feeling that they had being convicted of their sin before a holy God. What could have been worse than to reject the one that had been promised to you and your people through all of those ages that you had now had a hand in crucifying? Who could del- who, who had come to deliver from sin and iniquity? Notice how the Holy Spirit is described here in Zechariah 12. He is called the Spirit of grace and supplication who is poured out on them. We can be pretty sure that Spirit here speaks of the Holy Spirit rather than the human spirit. You could say, God gave me a spirit of grace and supplication, that kind of thing. But uh, it's shown we can see in two ways that it's talking about the Holy Spirit. First, because the Spirit is here called the Spirit. If it was telling us that God was changing the Spirit of His people... Might say that he gave, would give them a spirit rather than the spirit. You can't go by the capital letter, you know, because that's just a translator thing. But uh, second, because it says that the spirit is poured out, you would not expect God to say that if He was pouring out the spirit. If pouring out, if, if what He was doing was changing our disposition, okay, He'd more likely say that He was going maybe give us a spirit of grace and supplication, but pour out if it was our spirit that he's talking about. What's more, we know that the scripture constantly refers to the giving of the Holy Spirit as the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, that is how the giving of the Spirit was described at Pentecost, wasn't it? When it happened, Peter noted that this is what was spoken of by Joel the prophet when he said, "...and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit." on all flesh. And then he talks about what he means by that. All all kinds of people, sons and daughters and so on, will all prophesy, old and young, every everyone. But notice how the Spirit is called the Spirit of grace and supplication. Okay, so we see that it's the Holy Spirit, and then he's called the Spirit of Grace and Supplication that's poured out. Spirit of grace likely refers to how the Holy Spirit helps those That God has chosen for salvation. They needed help, didn't they? They 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 didn't see what they had done. They crucified the Lord of glory, then they heard the word preached by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were struck in their heart. The word grace is is often used in the Bible to speak of God's saving work in behalf of his people. What the Spirit was doing in the outpouring, in this outpouring, was a gracious work related to salvation for those appointed to salvation. He was not a spirit sent to bring condemnation. He could come to bring condemnation, couldn't he? Like he will on the day of judgment. People will see their wickedness and their condemnation and that it is just on the day of judgment. It would be a horrible thing. But rather, this is a gracious work of the spirit for salvation. And that gracious work we find in the second word, supplication. Supplication. Spirit of grace and supplication. Supplication speaks of a pleading with God uh, by one in need. Okay, When you when you are suppliant, you go and you, you ask for help. The Spirit in His marvelous way stirred up those appointed to salvation to pray. They hadn't prayed this way before. To call on the name of the Lord that they might be saved. To say, Lord, have mercy on us. For we have sinned. So Zechariah 12 is a prophecy about God giving His Spirit to His people to stir up true prayer in them, even prayer for salvation. Which is what happened at Pentecost, isn't it? There were many people that were saved. It should be understood that the Spirit was given to the church at Pentecost also as a permanent gift until Jesus comes. Why is that important? Because once the Spirit was given to the church... It was the the spirit was the he was the uh, for the church from then on he was he wasn't a gift that was taken and then withdrawn. Now we do sometimes pray that God would pour out His Spirit upon us when we feel that when we see that God has withdrawn His hand and is not blessing us, we look for Him to work by His Spirit. But the Spirit is ours from from in the full way that He was poured out from Pentecost on. Every believer has a Spirit of grace and supplication. If you're a believer, then you have the Spirit's help for your prayer, like for supplication. Let's Now let's look at the other passage from Romans 8. With Romans 8, we have the declaration that the Spirit helps those who are redeemed in their praying. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now you see that the help provided here is said to be help for weakness in our prayer. Our problem is, uh, it says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. I don't know how to pray for this. God gives us the Spirit for many reasons. But one of the main reasons he gives us a spirit and one of the things that really has a huge effect in our lives is to foster our prayers, right kind of prayer. Because you see if you when you pray, like that's even how salvation comes, isn't it? Notice that it says that the Spirit intercedes for us. And we're told of course that Christ intercedes for us. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and he, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever lives to do that. As our priest, he prays that based on his sacrifice we will be pardoned and transformed. It's a huge encouragement to know that Christ is seated there interceding for us. So, what is this intercession then of the Holy Spirit? Does this does does he do the same thing that Jesus does when he intercedes? Is he interceding with us in or, or for us in the same way? No. We need to consider how the Spirit works differently than how our Lord Jesus praying for us as our High Priest works. The Spirit, in a unique way, works in us. The Spirit works in us to enable us to do things that we could not otherwise do. Like, obedience to God, we obey how? In the Spirit. What about uh, speaking? We speak in the Spirit when God is helping us to do that. He, he does not do the obeying or speaking for us, right? But he enables us to do the obeying and the speaking. He enables us to live as we ought to live and to speak as we ought to speak. Now, this would tell us that his intercession, if we carry that whole manner of the Spirit's working over to look at intercession, that His intercession enables us to pray as we ought. Because otherwise, we don't know how. So it's not that the Spirit comes and prays instead of us. Because that's not how He works. Jesus does that. But He comes and and enables prayer. His intercession is a working in us. I used to tell you the the illustration I had when my children were little that. And they bring me a jar to open, and I would say, uh, you know, I'd open the jar for them. And I would say, if I was as strong as the Holy Spirit, I could make you able to open the jar. But I can't do that, so I'll open it for you. <laughs> and uh, that's that's a, a different kind of strength, isn't it? If I can make someone else do it, then that's that's quite a, a wonderful thing. So uh, so his his intercession then enables us to pray as we ought. Because otherwise, we don't know how. So it has a twofold effect on our prayers. The Spirit's intercession has a twofold effect on our prayers. First, He helps us to pray for the right things, since we don't know how to pray for what we ought. If left to ourselves, we would pray for the wrong thing or leave things out that we ought to pray for. We might pray for some things that we ought to pray for, but we'd leave a lot of things out. For example, if we're sick, you might pray for healing. Okay, fine, good. But we not, might not pray, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, that we would honor God in our sickness and that we would learn the lessons that He has for us to learn and that we would be patient until He heals, stuff like that. Because, oh, no, I just want to be healed. Well, see, your desires are off. We should want more to be holy than to be healed. And so we would... We would Cry out to God for this in a way that when the Spirit is working, that we wouldn't if we didn't have the Holy Spirit. Anybody will pray to, they'll get well. You know, you know, an unbeliever call on God, you know, take this away from me. Without God's Spirit, nobody would ever pray for salvation. They just wouldn't care. I'm talking about salvation from sin, you know, and, and reconciliation to God. We never pray for that. Okay, second, he helps us to be burdened. In our prayer, you notice it speaks here about groaning, groanings that cannot be uttered or be put into words. This is a very important aspect to true prayer. It relates to what we saw last week about drawing near to God with our lips when our heart is far away, how we don't want to be in that situation, we don't want to be like that. Anyone might mouth off prayers that are for things that ought to be prayed for. I mean, you know, you can get a good um, prayer book out or you can pray through the Psalms or pray prayers in the Bible or, or things like that. And, but it's another matter to pray those things from a burdened heart. In other words, prayer is supposed to be, as our catechism says, a lifting up of our desires unto God for the things that are agreeable to his will. And so you have this as your desires. It's not just, oh, I'm supposed to pray this. I think I mentioned this last week. You know, guys have the the prayer wheels that like they, they guys monks have actually done it. Put put a, a wheel in the water with prayers attached to it, and it spins around. It's supposed to each time it comes around, and then they pray again. You know, the guy comes out and the stream dried up. And he goes, "Oh no, I thought i had been praying, and I haven't prayed for two weeks." You know, his water's been dried up. <laughs> I don't know. that's not that's not real prayer, is it? It's not just saying the words. You can pray for the right things. But you have a desire for the right things. In other words, you could pray in your sickness that you would be, that you would learn what you need to learn and not really have desire for that at all. So the Spirit helps us. It's the fervent prayer as well, the burden prayer, the groaning prayer that God delights in. Not hyped up fervency. That's not what we're talking about. But from a, a heart fervency that is truly burdened for the things that you need. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I might ask you at this point, if you know what it is to pray in the Holy Spirit, do you know what it is to pray for things that you would not naturally pray for? Do you pray that God would be glorified, that people would be converted, that you and others would grow in faithfulness and and obedience? Are your prayers limited to asking God to make life easier and better, to give you things of this world that you need and you want, proper pray for our daily bread, but is that all that you pray for? You know, better jobs, relief from trouble, got a bad situation, help me take this away, you know, that kind of stuff. And and do you know what it is to be burdened and to really pray? You know the difference. Anyone can say, Dear Jesus, help us to love you, forgive us our sins, bless your church, help Uncle Bob repent, trust in you, amen. You yeah. uh, know, But it's another matter to be burdened for those things that you're praying for. You don't have to necessarily have a demonstrable show of that that other people see. But a heart cry before God to bring petitions to him with a deep sense of the importance of those things, of the need for God to send aid in those things as a gracious God who promises to do so a deep des- with a deep desire to see God glorified in the world because you love him to see his kingdom advanced surely it's often the case that our prayers are trivial and flat sometimes as a pastor i ask people about their prayers and i say do you ever really pray you know, are, there, are there times when you truly cry out to God for His mercy and grace? You can say a little memorized bedtime prayer or something before you go to bed and not even know that you did it, not, not mean a word that you said. So we pray for His kingdom and glory. I'm burdened that there are many who profess Christ who have never really prayed because they've never really been converted. That's where prayer starts. I'll have more to say about that as we proceed. So now, having seen that God promised to pour out His Spirit of grace and supplication upon us, and that as believers we have the Holy Spirit to help us pray as we ought, let's look at how the Spirit helps us. What does He do to bring forth these prayers in us? We'll look at two things that He does. First, that He transforms us as people in our effectual calling so that we pray, in our conversion so that we pray. And second, that He helps when we pray as we pray. He helps us in our praying. So those, those are the two things we'll look at here. So first, the Spirit transforms us as people so that we can pray. We have a hard, We have a hard heart that though we may want God to do stuff for us, does not really want to serve God or glorify Him. We're all caught up with ourselves and the things of the world. We take no notice of the fact that we're guilty sinners before God. And that's where real prayer begins. We don't want to think about it. Don't want to do anything about it. We just kind of push it away, push it out of the way, avoid it. That kind of thing. That's how we are before conversion. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes all that, isn't he? He calls us by waking up, us up to the reality of our condition before God of our sin and our rebellion and how wretched it is, we see that we have done wrong. And we may just see it a little bit. It doesn't have to be that you see this a tremendous, huge amount. But you see something that you never saw before because you were dead in your sins. You see and you stop blaming other people and and you stop making excuses and justifying yourself. You stop pretending that, that you're really a good person. And you admit that you're a sinful wretch who has offended God. As this conviction grows, we face the fact that we deserve to be punished in hell forever. And even there, we may at first not be as clear about that as we go on with the Lord. As the Spirit does this, He also awakens us us to the truth about Jesus our Savior. We become enamored with Him. As the one that God sent to save his people from their sins. We see the love of the Father in sending him. He talked about this in this morning's message. And the love and condescension of the Son. Who came and said, I've come to do your will, O God. When it meant going to the cross. We see that what he did to go there and make atonement for his people's sins. That they might be pardoned. And we see how he welcomes those into his kingdom. Who come trusting in his saving work. How he promises to help them. You become enamored with Christ. The spirit is the one that brings about that change. How is it that you had no interest in those things and now you do? It's because God's spirit has been at work. And finally, the spirit so works in us that we want to be saved so much that we actually do turn to him, to our Lord Jesus to receive and we receive salvation immediately we are transformed and we receive the holy spirit who works in us to help us love god he worked in us in our effectual calling to bring us to conversion and now he works in us to help us grow to love god to obey god to serve god to repent of our sins to grow in god's grace to yearn for god's kingdom to come to care about his people to yearn for god to be glorified to hunger to know him to know his word Both His commandments and His promises to put off the old man, to put on the new man. The Spirit gives us these new desires because He has changed our person. True prayer begins with salvation and conversion. There is no true praying before that. Do you see how that is the work of the Holy Spirit? He is given to us how? As a spirit of grace and supplication. What we saw in Zechariah 12. We are burdened for forgiveness, for conversion, and for new life. In short, we become by the Spirit's working a people of prayer. A people of faith. Who know that we need God in His salvation. And who therefore pray in the Holy Spirit. Real prayer has begun we are truly approaching the Father in Jesus' name by the Holy Spirit when this happens. I'm reminded of what the Lord tells Ananias when He sends him to bring the gospel to Paul or, or Saul, of course, uh, at, at that time, and baptize him. <laughs> Remember what the Lord says? He says, He comes to Ananias and tells him to go to this guy and he says, "Behold, he is praying." <laughs> what happened to him? <laughs> He realizes this need of salvation. Paul is praying. He's ready to be baptized. It's a, it's, it's a tremendous thing. He had been converted. God recognized his prayers that he didn't recognize before he was converted. You can really pray after your conversion. So conversion is foundational to prayer. But the Holy Spirit also works in another way that is essential to proper prayer. The Holy Spirit works in us in the moment of prayer. He helps us in our praying. This is kind of interesting because each situation that we encounter that calls for prayer requires for a fresh work of the Holy Spirit in us if we are to pray as we ought. Did Jesus not tell us that without him we can do nothing? And he said he would send his Holy Spirit to be our helper. Yes, we are that dependent on God's spirit. Every good work requires a special motion of the Holy Spirit. And does that not include our prayers? When we have the section in our confession, it talks about good works. It says this, that every, every good work, we have to have a special motion of the Spirit. Not that we're to wait for it before we do any good works. It's something that God does, though, whenever there's a good work. It's because God has worked in us to enable us to do that particular good work. And so it is with our prayers. That particular prayer, each one... We need the working of the Spirit. If we look at the context of Romans 8.26, where we're told about the intercession of the Spirit, it is speaking about maintaining hope in the midst of trials. As long as we're in this world, Jesus told us that we would have tribulation. Here in Romans 8, Paul says that the whole creation is subject to bondage until Jesus returns and we are perfected. It's wait, waiting for the adoption of the sons and that full, complete redemption of our body thing. Therefore, until that happens, we need hope. And I pointed that out when we read it. Okay, we need, Hope has to be there because we don't have everything yet that God has promised to us. If we had it, it wouldn't be hope anymore. We'd have it. Hope that God is working through these trials and will bring about eternal good through them, is what we need to have in the midst of life and its trials. Romans 8.28 is a verse that we all ought to be familiar with. It says that God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. What is the good in view though? Does that mean, oh, everything worked out, you know, (laughs) in a worldly way? Is that what it means? No. No, the good in view it tells us is that God uses our trials to make us more and more like Jesus. Romans 8.29 tells us, For whom He foreknew, you need to know it with Romans 8.28, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this is about the Spirit helping us to pray for the right things and to be burdened to pray for the right things. He enables us to pray earnestly in our trials. Not just for the removal of the trial. But that we would be more like Christ. The good thing that God always does. If He takes the trial away. It should make us more like Christ. If He leaves it with us. It's to make us more like Christ. And we pray for that with a whole heart. The Spirit is the one who gives us a desire to be godly. And who then gives us a burden to pray in specific situations, in specific trials, as we ought to pray. Now, likewise, he burdens us to pray appropriate to uh, other situations that God might be glorified. Okay, It's not just trials is one that is, is highlighted here in Romans 8. That's a big part of our whole life. But he does this... Um, He has worked in our hearts to be people who love God. So that means that we pray for things like that He would be honored or that we will see His glory or that His glory will be made known, seen by others. That uh, people will fear Him. That they'll see Him as a holy judge and a gracious Savior. That His enemies would be subdued and that His kingdom would grow. The Spirit enables us to have godly desires that are appropriate to whatever situation we're in. We need the Spirit for each situation, you might say. He, He does not give us direct words to pray, but He gives us godly passions and desires to fuel our prayers. So being mindful of the Spirit doesn't mean that you go looking for the Spirit each time in each situation, but it means that as we trust in God, we recognize that the Holy Spirit works in this fashion in our lives. The Spirit also burdens us to pray for holiness. He's the one that wrote God's law in our hearts in the first place. Gave us a desire for God's law. He's the one who convicts us of our sin. He's the one who brings us to repentance. It's the Spirit who works. So that we pray for forgiveness and deliverance after we have sinned. Or for strength when we're tempted to sin that we won't sin. Sometimes we know that we resist the Spirit. We maybe are tempted and we push the Spirit away. Because we're kind of enamored with the temptation. And we, and, but the Spirit eventually, if we're God's children, will overpower us. So that even if we have given way to that sin and been taken into bondage for a time, He will deliver us in time. He is faithful and His work always prevails. We will become burdened about our sin that we were not burdened by. And then we will repent. So we need Him, you see, to work in the, the milieu of life, in everyday situations and circumstances. Do you know the Spirit's working in these ways? Do you know of His intercession in your prayers? Do you pray in the Holy Spirit? If you're a stranger to His work in your praying, then I pray that He will burden you right now to pray about that. To pray that He will work in you to give you godly passions after the things of God that you do not have now. That's a good place to begin your prayers. to de- Desires together with hope. That God will do this work in you. Pray in hope as well. Perhaps you are a stranger to his saving power. Then it's time to cry out to the Lord. To humble yourself and cry out to him. Perhaps you need to cast yourself on Jesus for forgiveness and new life. See that you don't resist his call. Call upon him. And you will... Be saved. Now, if you know his saving work, but have become cold and barren in your walk, then look to him to stir you up and renew a right spirit within you. Pray that God would pour out his spirit of grace and supplication on you, that you might have groanings and yearnings and hope for the things of God. Now, I'd like to show you that such spirit-provoked prayers, I use provoke in the, the old way, Spirit stirred up prayers. Uh, that that uh, this is a constant theme of Scripture that we see people praying in the Holy Spirit all through the Word of God. Here are some examples: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God promised them that they would have a son. And I say them, He promised Abraham, and then of course the son was coming future to all of them. It was a descendant, a son that would be born to them. So He promised them that they would have a son who would bring blessing to their offspring and, that, and to all the families of the earth. Yet Abraham and Isaac, were their wives were barren. They were unable to have children. So what did they do? They cried out to God and he heard them. Why did they care? Because God's spirit had worked in them to believe and they were burdened that this would come about. They were burdened that it had not come about. They had groanings and yearnings. So we're told in Genesis 15, 1 through 3, that it says that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. He's praying because of that promise to have a son. And in Genesis 25, 21, we read of Isaac. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. This wasn't This wasn't uh, men that were just wished that they could have a baby. These were men that had a promise from God that they would have a baby that would be the one, that, a, a descendant. A son that would be the savior of their people that were going to come from them, and of the nations of the earth. This was a a, a prayer of a deep burden, crying out to God. Not that we don't pray about barrenness. I'm not su- suggesting at all that we we shouldn't do that. Of course we should. But I'm saying this was about this is about the savior coming or not coming, and that, like Abraham, this this can't this can't happen this way because of what God had promised. he believed God, you see. Jacob, he's very remarkable too. We see him yearning for God's blessing, but trying to obtain it by craft and deception. Soon his own devices force him to flee from his brother Esau because he's so provoked Esau that Esau wants to kill him. As he heads out of town, he stops at Bethel where he has the dream with the ladder and he sees angels of God going up and down and so on, that famous dream. And then God promises that he will preserve him and bring forth a son and blessing through him. The son and the blessing that he had promised to his father and his father's father is promised. Jacob continues to strive okay, in the way that he was before until the day comes that he's meeting Esau and he realizes that he can't spare his own life or the life of his family. That if Esau is... Going to crush him. There's nothing he can do about it. And so what does he do? He does what he should have done all along. He wrestles with God in prayer. His words are because you see, if he died, then that promise of his son coming through him, or if his family was all wiped out, I should say, then the promise of his son coming to him would be would be gone. So his words are recorded in Genesis 32, 26. And he, the Lord, said this is, that was the Lord speaking there. And, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. Because Jacob wouldn't let him go. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's a prayer of one burdened by the Holy Spirit in prayer. Next, consider Daniel. Daniel had been taken as a prisoner to Babylon, separated from his family, made a eunuch to be trained in the service of a pagan king. It came about that the king had a dream, and he wanted his wise men, of which Daniel was one, a young one in training. He wanted the wise men of Babylon to interpret that dream for him. But he told them that they must tell him what he had dreamed. We don't know whether he couldn't remember, or if he was just doing it to test them. But in any case, he said, you've got to tell me what I dreamed and uh, they said, well, you know, nobody ever, a- no king ever asked his wise men for that. And he was like, hey, this is Babylon. We don't do what everybody else does. The king of Babylon is telling you, you've got to tell me what this dream is, or you guys are just faking it. You know, you're not, you don't, you, how can I believe your interpretation if you, don't, if you can't tell me what I dreamed? So we're told that Daniel, what Daniel did when he learned about that, what did Daniel do? He prayed. Why? The Holy Spirit had worked in him so that he saw that God was his God. He was a converted man. And in this situation, the Spirit worked so that Daniel was led to pray. Daniel 2.17 Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek the mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. It was the Holy Spirit that made Daniel godly and that burdened him to pray this prayer. And of course the prayer was answered. God showed Daniel the dream and he was able to go and tell the king. Years later, Daniel was reading Jeremiah the prophet. Completely different situation. He's reading the Bible. And he came to realize that through Jeremiah that God had promised That uh, This was a fresh shot off the press, too. Jeremiah was contemporary, and uh, he he got somehow Jeremiah's prophecy, and uh, he, he was looking at this, and he saw that God was going to deliver his people from exile at the end of 70 years. What did Daniel do when he learned that? Oh, that's nice. It was getting near that time. No, Daniel 9.3 tells it. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. How does the Spirit work? He uses His Word. The things that He's promised that you then say, Oh Lord, do what You have said. Give what You have promised. The Spirit stirs us up to pray for promises. You don't say, if the Spirit is working, you don't say, Oh, God promised it, so it's going to happen anyway. No. You're stirred up to pray when God's promised it. Daniel's prayer is beautiful. It's a beautiful and godly prayer with much groaning in it. Okay, The burden, words that can't you can't even put into words. But you hear that in Daniel. He ends with these words. He ends that prayer. We won't go to the whole prayer. But in 9, 18, and 19, he says, Oh my God, incline your ear in here. He's praying for the people that are in exile. They're supposed to be witnesses of God's salvation with the pattern that He had given them in Jerusalem with the temple and all these things. That was all wiped out. He's saying, Oh God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. See it's the glory of God. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds. It's not because of our works of righteousness but because of your great mercies. And he says, hear the pleading. He's burdened. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. This is for your glory. That is a spirit filled prayer. A time would fail me to speak of David's prayers for mercy. We can find all along, you know, all through the Psalms, everywhere. Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. Jeremiah's cries for deliverance and along the way in his prophecies. Manasseh's prayer of repentance. Manasseh repented, you know. He was one of the most wicked kings ever. And he repented and God heard him. spirit of prayer and supplication was poured out on him, wasn't it? Isaiah's prayers at the end of his book. Remember when we did that, when we had that week of fasting and uh, during, during COVID, and, and I preached to you from all the last chapters of Isaiah in one sermon, and uh, we showed the, the crying out to God for the deliverance of his people. Nehemiah's prayer, when he learned of the state of Jerusalem. Read the book of Nehemiah. So often he hears the condition of Jerusalem and he, he goes to his knees He cries out to God. He comes to Jerusalem. He sees the situation. He goes to his knees. He cries out to God. Job's prayers. Job's regular prayer for his children that in case one of them might have sinned. But I will mention a little bit more about Paul's prayers. Time and time again, Paul speaks about his prayers for the churches. He says he has a burden for the churches. He has a spirit-wrought burden for those who have come to believe so if Paul hears something about the Corinthians or something, he doesn't go, oh, and then he goes on his way. There's a, there's a burden there. He cries out to God about it. There are times when he prays for physical health, protection, and things like that. Again, those are appropriate pair, prayers. But the prayer, for we could pick almost any epistle. But let's just take the Philippians, okay, his, to, his letter to the Philippians. It's typical of his prayers that he mentions that he has for all the churches what is some of the content of that? What are the things you pray for when you pray as you ought? Well, after saying how he gives thanks for them and prays for their fellowship in the gospel, thanks God for that and prays that that fellowship will continue. In Philippians 1.9 he says, In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Do you pray that for people? That you may approve the things that are excellent. And that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. And why does he pray all this? To the glory and praise of God. Such deep yearning for people to know God. For God to be glorified. For people to walk with Christ. That is the Spirit's intercession within Paul. Stirring Paul to pray as he ought. Finally, I would point to the prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to remember, we we talked about this a long time ago in this series. We talked about the Holy Spirit and how Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's His very name. Anointed One? He's anointed with the Spirit above measure. Jesus was a man. And as a man, a man ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was, because He was the perfect man. He was not a man who said, oh, well, because I'm the son of God, I don't need the Holy Spirit. No, he was here fully as a man. And in order to be a whole man and a right kind of man, he needed to have the fullness of the spirit. And he did. So what do we see about Jesus? As soon as he went into his ministry and he was baptized and he he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. What did he do there? He fasted. He was entering his ministry. There are all kinds of temptations about how he was going to conduct his ministry. And pressures and things about, you know, it would be much easier if he did it like this, Satan says. That's kind of what the temptations were like. And Jesus was crying out to his father, fasting and prayer. How often are we told about Jesus going off by himself to pray? Very busy, a lot of things going on. We're told that he got up early in the morning. And went away into a quiet place. We're told a lot of times when his disciples, you know, come looking for him. Like, Lord, everybody's looking for you. You gotta come. He, you know, he's there praying. That, that's, that's a man filled with the Spirit. We see him in John 17, praying for God to be glorified through his ministry and in the in blessing of his church. That his people would bring praise and honor to him, and that they would know him and see his glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the earth, that He would glorify Him by the work that He's doing. We see Him in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying in the night in temptation while His disciples slept, crying out for mercy as He faces the cross, preparing Himself for the awful task that had been appointed to Him, submitting Himself to the will of God, if this must be the way for salvation. Not my will, but yours be done. He's praying in the Holy Spirit. We see him actually on the cross. Psalm 22, crying out with vehement cries and prayers for deliverance, as it says in Hebrews, as the shepherd of his people, giving his life and bearing the curse for their deliverance. You know that you are praying in the Spirit when you're burdened to pray for things that are in accordance with God's revealed will. If your prayers are only for worldly relief and prosperity, you're not praying in the Holy Spirit. If, on the other hand, you're yearning for and and your desires leading to sincere prayer for God's glory, praying for that, God's kingdom and church, godliness, your life, life of other people, Whatever God appoints for you and others in the way of the good things of this life, forgiveness, deliverance from sin and temptation, praying for those things, then you're praying in the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. If you're praying for those things, I say again, with a desire for those things. Now, you can say the Lord's Prayer because that's basically what I just outlined. You, anybody can do the Lord's Prayer, you can say that. But you say that? Do you bring that before God with a burden and yearning desire? Do you bring it by the power of the Spirit? Thanks be to God if you do. May he enable all of us to pray in the Holy Spirit. Back to Jude again, praying in the Holy Spirit. That is our desire. Let's then pray to the Lord our God right now. Please stand. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your holy word to guide us and teach us. We thank you, Lord, that you have also given us your Holy Spirit. Because the word without the spirit would be of no avail to us. We are sinners. We have hard hearts. And the word would just deflect off of us as if it was nothing. But, Father, we praise you that because of the working of your Holy Spirit, that when your Spirit is poured out, that there is a Spirit of grace and supplication. He is the Spirit of grace and supplication. And we are then burdened to pray for things that are agreeable to your will, that you would be glorified, that we would be holy, that your kingdom would come, that you would give us our daily bread that you, Lord, would forgive our sins and that you would deliver us from evil and temptation. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be glorified and that your kingdom would be seen in the earth. Father, we thank you that that you have not left us without your Spirit. And we pray that we would encourage one another and that we would pray for others, that they would pray in the Holy Spirit. And Father, if there are those here who are strangers the Spirit's working, who have never known what it is to be burdened by the Holy Spirit to pray for deliverance from sin and forgiveness and such things, we pray that you would bring that work, Lord, that you would make them alive, that you would open their eyes and cause them to see, and that you would answer their prayer. Father, we thank you for having done that in the lives of so many people, and we pray that you would do it in the lives of more. We think of those that we love. Who do not know what it is to pray. They have never really prayed. And we pray that you would give them your Holy Spirit. That they might begin. And then that they might join with your people. In crying out to you for your kingdom. And for your glory. And for your honor. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Our song of response is Psalm 32c. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.